Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. I'm very excited because this time I'm actually looking at our speaker face-to-face without a screen in front of me. (laughs) It's amazing. Now that we get to start reopening a little bit, we get to record this in person instead of on a Zoom call. So welcome, Sherry. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. (laughs) We actually tried this way back at the beginning, and there were some tech issues with the sound, so I really appreciate you coming back to do this again. That's no problem. I love rehearsals. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, uh, Sherry, before we dive into your story, would you just give us a a brief introduction of, of who you are? I am a born-again believer in Jesus, and I am married. I have three children and nine grandchildren, and I live in McMinnville, Oregon, and love living in the Pacific Northwest. Well, we're glad you're here, and you're a big part of the Calvary Mac family. How have you been in the midst of these last few months, personally? I've been good. I, it hasn't changed our life a whole lot. My husband's still working. I've just been having a lot more quiet time than usual. It's been good to decompress and to pull back and to have time to read, even for pleasure, let alone having my devotional life expand. I keep starting to look at the computer because I'm so used to it now. And I'm like, oh, wait, I get to actually look at your face. You're right here. <laughs> so this is, this is amazing. I'm, I'm so excited. I would like to open with prayer. Oh, glorious Father, you are a glorious complexity. May these words dance and their images sing. May their movements speak and their music move us. May they be mirrors reflecting the truth of our living God in the midst of this fallen world that's in chaotic disrepair. Help us to help others in their endeavors. Help us to support them, encourage them to continue in their faith in Jesus until that last day, and to understand their grand design and to enjoy full redemption. It's through Jesus I pray. Amen. Amen. Sherry, thank you for that prayer. That was beautiful and and so appropriate to start this way because we are actually sitting in the brand new prayer room. So for anybody listening who is part of the Calvary Mac family or local to McMinnville, I hope you come check this room out because it is amazing and are just so, so thrilled to be sitting here on a couch and recording. So I wanted to have you actually go backwards. Okay. In your life story, if you don't mind, because you have been uh, writing something, to my understanding, yes, that's got a pretty interesting title. <laughs> and so I thought I would start by letting you introduce what you're writing. Okay. I've been writing for a long time. I have been a dramatist and director for a theater group. So writing is a fun, really fun thing for me to do. But when I was had a particular difficult time being let go from a marriage. The Lord spoke to my heart that I was a garbage wife. And I I just hated the title. I thought that's just a horrible word. But I was. The more I thought about it, the more I realized I was a throwaway wife. And how many of us have been discarded, thrown away, not valued, that are in the kingdom that are followers of Jesus and haven't been treated with civility or with honor and respect, have been misused, mishandled, and tossed out on our ear for someone different, for whatever reason there might be. In my case, it was for someone different. So the Lord spoke to my heart that he wanted me to write about that, to bring this forward in the modern day church as a problem. It's a real big problem. And men, for whatever their reasons are, oftentimes aren't finding the freedom to fulfill their role as God designed. And therefore, women do suffer from that kind of misalignment. 
So yeah, I'm writing a story about it. I'm, I can't wait to see when it comes out. <laughs> I know we've had a lot of women on the, on the podcast who have shared about struggles within marriages. It's, it's such a common, it's such a common story or it's such a common chapter of women's stories to have hard times within a marriage, mm -hmm. sometimes the end of a marriage. In your case, I know that that, that did happen. I know you've had some experiences that really led to you being able to write this story, that this is just overflowing out of your heart and out of your experience. You wouldn't have gotten to this point without Jesus. Absolutely not. And he's been a part of your life since you were very young. And it wasn't one of those, my life was bad, and then I met God, and then I lived happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. Because it's never like that. Nobody has that story. <laughs> That's just not how it's written. So in order for the listeners to understand a little bit of, of just your heart and your life experience that led you to this story, may I backtrack a little bit now Certainly. and ask you to share with us your childhood and that first step in your relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was seven years old at Bible camp. My dad was the manager of a Bible camp for nine years in northern Minnesota on Park Lake. And his friend came from the Congo and was the speaker at Bible camp that week. And I knew that I was a sinner and I needed salvation. And as a seven-year-old child, walked down the aisle with tears running down my cheeks and gave my life to Jesus. Well, that was the sweetest beginning. So young, so innocent, so expectant for life to go really smooth and sweet. All my dreams, you know, to maybe be fulfilled. God works in hearts of all ages. Oh, absolutely. And he definitely worked in your heart mm -hmm. when you were seven. Mm -hmm. But like we said, this was not then happily ever after. So you have this strong foundation mm -hmm. as a child. Both your parents were Christian, yes. loved God, raised yes. you, gave you this solid foundation yes. in your faith. And then as we kind of move into your teen years, we enter a story that is all too common. And I know so many you know, Christians, Christian moms who might be listening, maybe this is the season they're in as the parent or that they went through themselves in their teen years. But... Can you dive into those those teenage years and the influences there into a pretty into a pretty dark season, but God never left you. Never left me for sure. We moved when I was fourteen to Arizona to the metropolis of Phoenix. I was certain that Dad made a mistake and took us to hell instead. <laughs> it was just so hot when we arrived and we're from northern minnesota in the country so it was very very um cooler <laughs> much cooler climate shock yes yeah, so it was awful <laughs> but it was also cultural shock because now i was thrown into the fray so to speak with my cousin and her choice of friends which were sexually promiscuous and using drugs and dealing drugs and they were the first people that I met when I moved to Phoenix. And my world was quickly thrown into chaos and our family was all adjusting, all four of we kids and we we're all in different school situations and mom and dad both were working and I just kind of got lost in the shuffle. Not purposefully, I know that because their hearts grieved when I told them what had been happening. But I went into a period of silence, really, with my family and wouldn't be real with what I was experiencing or what temptations were surrounding me or even what sin was being lived out in my life. So by the time I got to the place of being 16, I was filled with guilt, the shame of sin. I'd been even stealing my mom's prescription drugs to give to the drug dealer because he was leaning on me to get them once he knew that my mom was on prescription medication because then he knew he could resell them. Oh, it was just so sordid and so scary. Being in the park, I remember at Cortez Park, and being in the restroom and someone coming up to me with a tourniquet and a syringe and saying, we we really, really want you to take this with us. 
it was horrible. It was so scary. And I got so frightened realizing, oh my gosh, they're pushers, they're dealers. This stuff is all around me. How can I escape this? Well, I ended up leaving, running actually. And um, through the all of the turmoil that was in my heart as a Christian girl, being raised in a Christian home, in a fellowship that was, they were born again. I was so filled with shame that I couldn't get out of my shame. I don't know why I thought that I just have to commit suicide. It's the only way I can get out of my pain is to terminate my life. But you see, my thoughts had been spiraling downward for so long that it was a progression downwards. And I just kept cascading further and further deeper into the blackness. And Satan wanted to snuff out my life, no doubt about that. But God had his way. Yeah, I tried. I took 13 tabs of speed and was on an incredible speedy trip for three days and three nights. I couldn't sleep or eat. It was just horrible. And my parents didn't know what was wrong with me until I collapsed into the laundry room. And, you know, it's just even embarrassing to even talk about now. And it's been years later, many years later. But I say that only for the sake that God had his hand on my life. And he said, no, you're not done yet. It's not your time. I'm not bringing you home. You're going to get through this. My hand of providence is over your life. My sovereign choice is that you live. And there's a scripture in Psalms that says, I shall not die, but live. And I love that scripture. I've gone to it many times during the years when I've had other very catastrophic events that have taken place. I shall not die, but live. God told me he put it right there in the Bible. So I believe that that's the truth. Anyway, I came out of that time and rededicated my life to the Lord. My sister and I both got baptized together at a special service. And it was incredibly beautiful, this turnaround. And be, right before the baptism, I had shared with my parents on their rust carpeting on the floor in Phoenix, Arizona. We, the three of us, sat in a holy huddle, really, and wept to get, it's going to make me cry, wept together as I confessed all of it to them. I had a really, always have had an open heart and an open story, basically. And um, so to tell them was such a relief after hiding for those years. And they just grieved and were so sad that they hadn't been there for me. They hadn't noticed the signs. How could they? They didn't know drug people. <laughs> we're from northern Minnesota in the country. Nobody knew there about the misuse of drugs or this whole hippie kind of culture. So it wasn't, I'm not faulting them for sure, they, but they were there for me and they loved me through it. And what a model that they showed of unconditional love. Yes, they did. And support mm -hmm. that you were their daughter. No matter what other identity you were thinking in your mind or, or what path you were walking down, you were their daughter. That's right. And how important that identity comes later in your story, really receiving that you are not only a beloved daughter of an earthly mother and father, but a loved daughter of a heavenly father. Mm -hmm. The perfect one. Yeah. And he had many more plans for you mm -hmm. beyond your teen years. I just want to thank you for opening up that sacred chapter of your story because it is so deep and it's so raw and even now brings tears but there are so many women going through that same season even though it might look a little different in each life story but it, it's something that needs to be heard and needs to be talked about and not hidden yeah, suicide is not the option. It is not the relief from pain. You cause so much more pain by by committing the act of suicide. Just like when we sin and we sin against other people, we commit injury against them. And the taking of our own life seems like it's going to be the solution. Yeah, it'll get us out of an immediate bind, but we've 
not experience the fullness of God's redemption in taking the sordid things of life and bringing beauty out of them. That's what I've witnessed, is that the ashes in my life that God has allowed, and in some ways even planned, not a lot of people don't like to think about God planning our demise, not our demise, but our um, difficulties, mm -hmm. or bringing, like he did to Job, volitional acts mm -hmm. where he would allow him to suffer and bring that suffering even to him because God has a higher purpose. He wants, wanted my heart to be completely surrendered to him, sold out to him. He wanted to break me and he knew the best ways to do that and to fill me with his life. I'll never stop thanking him until the day I <laughs> cease to breathe and open my eyes on the other side. He rescued me out of a few pits. He did. And and we've we've touched on just the first one. Mm -hmm. So as you graduated high school Yeah, I married my children's who became my children's father. Um I was eighteen and we uh were married for many years, had three children, and his um, desire to drink alcohol became a real problem. And he was leaving me quite lonely as he would spend most of his time in other ways than with me. I was pretty much raising the kids. He was working. You now life just gets super busy and you just kind of make everyday work and have dinner go clean up, go to bed, start the same, same thing over the next day. But then the weekend drinking became more and more. And through the years, it became to be an increasing problem. And there was seemingly no end in sight and no remedy for it. And at seven years of our marriage, someone else came on the scene that showed me a little bit of attention. And uh, into his arms, I fell. And I'm very shamed. I'm not shamed, but I'm ashamed mm. of the fact that I was so vulnerable and so unwise to take those signals as love, <laughs> which they were not. It was lust only. And to interpret those as what I really needed, because that wasn't what I really needed. And if I could tell young girls anything right now, and I love young girls. I think they're beautiful. All of them, when I see them in the store, in the marketplace, or as cashiers, or baristas at the coffee bars, it's like, oh, dang, they're so cute. <laughs> I just want to tell them, be careful, guard your heart, because your heart is the most precious thing you have. It's the only thing each one of us can choose to keep intact. And when we give our lives away, our hearts away, to a man, we are at the very most vulnerable place. God wanted to fill that place. He wanted to saturate me with his goodness. But I thought, no, I want more. Oh, how foolish I was. And I paid for it in a big way. Well, our marriage began to heal after much uh, trouble and court and counseling and a marriage encounter weekend. And as it was progressing and healing, we found happiness again, and we were enjoying life, and a lot of things were really good. But there was this one area of alcoholism and pornography that was in the background. And try as I might to overcome that emotionally, I was having a really hard time. And it wasn't anything that was really in the light. And in those days in the church, you really didn't speak about stuff like that. And women were really taught to submit to their husbands and to fit in according to their plans. Well, how on earth does that work when it's not going in a direction of godliness and it's bringing much turmoil and there can't be resolution to conflict because alcoholism is a barrier. It's a lot to all of that, and I can't possibly address it, but suffice it to say that we recovered of sorts until the 28th year of our marriage when 
9-11 happened and our marriage blew to bits after that. It was just through a series of circumstances that sent us into our pastor's counseling office for five arduous months. It was terribly difficult. That yeah. wasn't something that was fixable because we both weren't on the same page. I wanted to fix it. He did not want to fix it the way God says to fix it. You know, as your marriage came to an end, once again, God was not absent in that season. No. In fact, as I understand it, he was doing quite a work in you mm. and rescued you again mm. from a possible suicide attempt. Yeah, he did. My kids were little and we had been separated and I'll never forget my daughter seeing some clouds up in the sky. We were driving up to a, a nearby town and she said, Oh, mommy, look at those clouds. That reminds me of heaven. I want to go to heaven. And my heart just broke. I thought, what am I doing? I'm destroying the life of my child. I have three children. I can't end it all. I, I can't. I'm a mom. I have an I have a role to fulfill here with these children's lives. I can't ruin their lives by taking mine out of my own misery and pain. I can't be that selfish to them. Mm -hmm. But you know, when I look back at all of that, it was all the tearing down of me in order for the Lord to build me. And he had to bring me down, down, down to within a fraction of my life, if you will, so that he could infuse me with his power. He could fill this empty vessel with his energy, with his life-giving power, the power of the Holy Spirit that's available for everyone to accept. There's more to this Christian life than just being born again and learning a bunch of Bible verses, which are wonderful doing Bible studies, going to fellowships and, and worship and all that's beautiful. If we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit driving us, we're living a very um, impotent Christian life. Yeah, there are many people, I think, that go through the motions. Mm -hmm. And often our struggles are what shake us into experiencing more. And desperation yeah. drives us. And then you don't know that God is all you need until God is all you have. Yes. <laughs> and then you find he's enough. And he's all you ever wanted anyway. And he satisfies every, every single desire of the human life mm -hmm. and heart. And so as we're weaving through your life story that God has written for you, and you came out of your first marriage, there was another chapter, another season. There was. <laughs> the day of my big D, the divorce, oh, I hate that word. I just still hate that word. It's an ugly word. I was baptized again. So this was great. This was great, really great. I buried the old and I came up out of the water new. It was brand new life, brand new experiences to have. And um, I didn't care that I'd been baptized again. That was what the Spirit put in my heart to do. Let's, let's just do this. So we had a special baptism service. And I moved in with my parents. I had moved in with my parents during that time and lived on their lower level and waited for, I guess it was two and a half years. And then I met somebody that I then had married after that. And we lived happily together for um, 10 years, mostly happy. <laughs> and there was some very difficult times during those years that I'll have to explain just a little bit. He was a wonderful man in many ways, or I never would have been drawn to him in the first place. He was born again, claimed to love Jesus and I had no red flags about marrying him when I, after I had gotten to know him a little bit. So off to Hawaii we went, we got married, and it was just the two of us, and we were beginning a new life together. 
and it was very exciting for about a year and a half. And then he became less of a husband to me. And ladies, I just have to say this frankly, there's really no other way around it. It's not, it's a delicate situation, but um, the bedroom scene became, it became void, <laughs> was empty, it, it, there was nothing. He was holding my hand and hugging me and kissing me and telling me he loved me. But as time went on, he revealed that he was more interested in what I could bring to the monetary table than really what it meant to be in a loving marriage relationship. He had seen me on billboards in the Prescott area because I was a realtor there. And I I was just naive. I didn't think that he would have any alternative motives in mind. And I had obviously already said I had no check in my spirit about it. I didn't give the Lord a lot of time to check my spirit, but I did ask him on several occasions. And I just had no indication that he didn't want me to move forward with that marriage. And my parents were in agreement. And so away we went. But when I really considered, why isn't he touching me? Why aren't we intimate? Why is that area of our life off limits? We can't talk about it. We can't get help for it. It's just gone. I I just couldn't, I couldn't put that really to sleep. It was something that drug on me and weighed on me and pushed on me as a woman, my identity. I remember I'd been really grasping hold of my new identity in Christ for all of these years. And to now have someone in essence say, you know, you're just not enough. You're not, you're not good enough. I'm looking elsewhere. I'm maybe on the internet, maybe I'm in books, magazines. I'm at conventions a lot, staying in hotels. I found out that he'd even stayed in the Playboy Hotel in Las Vegas. I was devastated. And so I asked him point blank why it was like this and could we get help? And he said, no, and that I don't have any answer for you. So I agreed with the Lord that it was my mind to stick out because I had made a vow before the Lord that marriage is honorable. I absolutely believe that. It is the highest institution, if you want to call it that, in relationships. It's what Jesus wants to show us is how he prizes his bride, his man, his woman, them coming together, them loving each other. It's for beauty. And God wants to show us that beauty. And he wants us to act towards each other in a way that's becoming of that beauty, that complements what he says is right, how he ordained it to be. Oh, we know that doesn't happen lots, that people are mature enough in the Lord to have a marriage like that, but it's what we all long for, or we would never get married in the first place. That's what we hope for when we say, I do. So I'd been a flight attendant, and after I'd been a, well, I was a realtor and a flight attendant kind of at the same time. And during that time, I got the swine flu and got deathly ill and was in the hospital in isolation. It took me two years to recover from that uh, illness. I had a lot, lot of lung issues that took place from that. So I'm super careful about where I go with this COVID stuff out and about. But anyway, at the time we had relocated right after that to, or right during that healing time to the Pacific Northwest. And my husband told me that he didn't know if he wanted me to come to the Pacific Northwest with him because he wasn't liking the direction our marriage was going in. So he had all my stuff already delivered up here. And now what was I going to do? I was waiting for the doctor to release me. So I was living with my friend and her husband, who happened to be our associate pastor and his wife. And I got the call that said what I just said, that he didn't know that he wanted me to come. And we all pretty much exploded with grief and anger and frustration and how could he and all sorts of things. So just prayed and prayed and I stayed in my room and prayed and read the Bible and ended up this one day once the doctor released me, I said, I have got to go. I've got to go. So I left them a thank you note on the counter explaining my thoughts and said, I have to go save my marriage. I have to. 
So I drove all the way from Arizona up to Washington, never having driven that road before, by myself, desperately grieving, worried, what was I going to be, how was I going to be welcomed once I got here? Well, I wasn't really welcomed. It was dark when I arrived and he met me in a dark driveway with a flashlight and sort of gave me a hug, but was not happy that I was there. He let me in the house. It's conflicting in his in his actions because he drew me a nice bath so that I could relax after my road trip and put me in the guest bedroom and said, you are not allowed to put your stuff in my closet or use my bathroom, but here's this bathroom. You can use this bathroom and you can stay in the guest room. I'm like, oh my gosh, I am so confused. What is happening? So long story short, I ended up on antidepressants about six months later, because I couldn't stop my crying. I was just overcome with turmoil. I was going to Calvary Chapel Olympia at the time, and he wouldn't go because he didn't like Calvary Chapels because he felt that everybody there just wanted you to confess your sins to each other. And he obviously wasn't quite ready to do that. So we made it work from there. I just actually took it to the Lord and left it there and said, I don't know what to do, but I am not going to be divorced again. This is what you've called me to, and you have to change my heart. You have to change my life. You have to make it work. I don't know how this is going to work, but oh God, please help. Because he didn't even want me to hang pictures in this house or to decorate it because he didn't know what the future was going to hold. Well, how long can you go on living like that? That was pretty awkward. But I chose a higher road and thought, now I'm, I'm just going to keep being forgiving and loving and gentle and keep a, a civil tongue and be soft-hearted toward him. Well, that took a lot of concentration and a lot of prayer. And then he really wanted me to work. And so I got a job at Macy's in Olympia and also got my real estate license in Washington and did both of those jobs but that wasn't quite enough. He, he wasn't happy that I wasn't making enough money. So I asked him what was enough and he couldn't give me a definite answer. So I didn't know how far the bar was for me to climb up to, to bring him satisfaction and happiness. And so we lived that way together for another, I guess it was another seven and a half years. But all in all, he, out of the 10 years that that marriage lasted, God had to blast me out of that marriage because I wouldn't leave. <laughs> I wouldn't leave. It was my commitment before the Lord that I love him. I'm choosing to love him even so. I don't understand it. He won't get help. What do I do on my own? And the Lord finally said, I'm going to turn his heart hard. And the Lord turned his heart hard. We had been through a bankruptcy together and we had been through the death of his father together. We'd been through his a knee replacement that he needed together. With many things that would bind us together. And finally, this one day, after his father had passed away, I suggested that we think about, pray about, having his mom come live with us full time because the quality of her life could really be enhanced if she had us around her. And she might live many more years. We didn't know. She was well in her 80s by then. And so um, I had told him at that time that um, my only hesitation about bringing your mom in to live with us full time is what if we're more married to her than we are to each other? That's my only concern. Well, we agreed that it was the right thing to do. So we brought her in to live with us. Happy day. Happy, happy. We were just excited. I, were, I was helping her unpack her boxes and put her stuff in our cabinets. I'd made cabinets available for her and we made a beautiful bedroom for her and decorated it with her own bedroom set and that she'd had since she was first married, which they'd been married for 63 years. And so we were all this little happy threesome until this one morning I went into his office in our home next to his mom's bedroom and I said, how can we, how can we fix us? How can we get back to what we had? 
long ago. And he took his glasses off, set them down on the desk, and he said, we can't. I'm not in love with you. And of course, my eyes welled up with tears, and I said, how, what are you talking about? We're happy. He said, no, I'm not happy. I don't think you're really happy either. We can't make this work. I want out of our marriage. I was, I was rocked. <laughs> I said, oh my gosh, okay, we've got to talk about this. There's so much to talk about. No, I don't want to talk about it. And I don't want my mom to overhear us. So I stumbled out of his office to our bedroom, looking out over the bay, thinking, oh my gosh, Lord, what do I do with this? How do I, how do I move forward? I've got to go down and his mom's going to come down. She's thinking we're all this little happy family. He doesn't want to be married to me anymore. What? Oh my gosh. Well, I don't know where to go with this. So I went, did end up going down to breakfast after I dried my tears. And he sat there at the table with his mom like, nothing had changed. So the day went on and asked him, can we get counseling? No, I don't want any counseling. I don't want to fix it, Sherry. I love you, he said, taking my face even into his hands. I love you. You're a wonderful woman. You're a great wife, but I'm not in love with you. I'm sorry to say that to you, but I'm not in love with you. And I want out. So I called my kids, talked with them, called my pastor and his wife and Prescott, talked with them, called my sisters, talked with them. Everybody's praying. I ended up seeing a lawyer. And then I found out I had to wait a certain amount of time because you have to be married 10 years to be able to claim any social security benefits once it comes to that time. So I delayed the inevitable thinking, oh, maybe he'll change his mind. Maybe he'll turn around and come back and want me. He didn't. So I stormed the beaches as I was living at the beach. I'd moved away to where my daughter lived and I bound the enemy. I, I begged the Lord to change the tra trajectory of what was coming. And some ladies at the Calvary Chapel there were praying for me. And this one dear saint who still prays for me every day came up to me one day and she said, Sherry, it's time. The Lord told me, you just need to let him go and we'll take it from here. You just rest and we'll pray. We'll take it from here. I've never heard of anything so beautiful. Mm. So, gosh, how many women need to hear that right now? Ugh. Just rest. Just rest. Just rest. God will take it. He will. But he had to blast me out of there. I would not <laughs> have chosen to go. I would not have because I fought too hard for purity and righteousness sake. And he told me I needed a strong spiritual husband, which I did, of course, and that he could not be that for me. And so I appreciated his honesty in all. I had great respect for him until then. And then I didn't know what to think of him because then I realized he hadn't been living with me in a truthful way. And I'd been deceived. And I did ask him, why have you deceived me eight and a half years? You've just lived with me like this and not told me the truth. So that marriage ended and I knew that I would never be married again and my emotions. Oh Lord, I, I'm so happy with you. You are the perfect husband. I'm not anti him or my children's father. I'm not, I'm, I've forgiven them. I worked through that process. I, did a women's Bible study online with women that were going through divorce with Precepts Ministries. And it was powerful. And the Lord just set me free. But he had to show me that he's the one that rescued me. He's the one that knew that his heart was not going to turn to softness toward his wife. And God hardened his heart enough for him to be able to say those things that he said and more. So on I went into my new singleness and I was very thrilled with Jesus. And as I was thrilled with Jesus, not thinking anything about looking for a man to fulfill <laughs> my dreams, or I just didn't need one. I was okay. I can work until it's time to retire. I'm fine. I'll live on the little bit of income. It's okay. I can do it. 
God is right here with me. And the Lord brought someone into my life as a friend, a new friend that happened to have been from Prescott, Arizona, where I was from. And he happened to be the brother of missionary friends of mine that I'd known since 1986. <laughs> and a long story short is that um, we just struck up a friendship and and stayed in close contact just over the phone for over a thousand hours on the phone over the next year. And we I, I know because I logged it. <laughs> <laughs> just because I was curious, how much time, when I went back to my Bryson bill, how much time have we been on the phone together? Um, so he asked me to marry him at the end of that year. And I looked at him and looked at him and all these thoughts were going through my head while he was, after he had asked me to marry him at the edge of a lake in Prescott. And, I, and he said, are you going to answer? <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I was just thinking about so many things about you asking me that. Yes, yes. The Lord has given me many, many words of confirmation, scriptures, prayers from other people, counsel from other people where this relationship might be headed. Yes, I want to become your wife. I don't need to, though. I want you to know I don't need to become your wife. But I'm very happy to be so. And he knew from the beginning when he first met me that this is a woman that has been through a lot of fire, a lot of hurt, but she has come out a victorious woman in Christ. And he admired that in me. Go figure. I mean, that's just amazing to think that someone would be able to have that kind of perceptibility when they meet someone and are friends with them. That this is a woman of substance and depth. And I want to invest more of my time with her. And then it blossomed into a beautiful love. And we're thrilled to be married to each other. We're <laughs> equally matched spiritually, emotionally. We've both been through hell in a lot of ways, but God has taken us through. And that's the thing. It might be the shadow of the valley of death or the valley of the shadow of death is how it goes, but it's just a shadow. It's not where we stay. It's not the full light of day. When the full light of the presence of Jesus comes upon what are looking like dark shadows, are looming and frightening and ominous. When we expose that to the light of his presence in the power of his word and the power of his spirit, poof, it's just gone. And he gives us a breath of new life and breathes his life into us. Yes, he is the one that makes beauty out of ashes. Only he can do that. It's his forte. He loves to do that. And he's available for everyone the same way. I'm no special case. I might have been a harder nut to crack. I'm not sure, but <laughs> my mom did say one time that she regretted be learning how to be a mother on my tender heart. So I do have that claim to fame. <laughs> my mother thought all my life I have a very tender heart. So how can wow. women be abused in all sorts of different ways and not blow the whistle, not, mm. not bring it into full light. It's a lot of questions I have, the questions I want to address in the book entitled Garbage Wives. Why do women allow themselves, first of all, to come under mismanagement, <laughs> mistreatment? Is it because we don't know who we are in Christ? If we know our true identity in Christ, we draw some boundaries with even what will allow our minds to entertain as a thought. Well, if I would have known this <laughs> way back when, when I sat in a Bible study as a young mom and wife in my 20s, and the Bible study teacher was teaching on Proverbs, and she taught against adultery and what it can do in your life. And I sat right there in my chair and said in my heart, I'll never forget it. Well, that's one sin I don't have to worry about. And that is the exact stupid thing I did. 
Now, as you're referring to some truths, some words, you had told me, and I wanted our listeners to hear this, of a particular truth that you said to yourself in the mirror while putting on your makeup. Mm -hmm. And I just think we need to do that whether we write things on our mirrors or, or remind ourselves or have, a, have an accountability partner, a friend, a mentor, somebody that's telling us about our identity in a truthful way. Mm-hmm. What did you tell yourself in the mirror? Oh, it's so key to my healing. Oh, how about this one? Um, I have a whole list. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I have 103 identity, true identity mm. in Christ Jesus facts that are exactly from the word of God. And you know what? Before you read, I know you're not going to read all of no, them, no, but no, before no. you read a few, let me just say that if you were listening and you want this list, you can email me. I will get you in touch with Sherry. She's got a lot of resources for you. I do. Yeah, I absolutely do. Well, number 51 says, I am adequate for anything because my adequacy comes from God. Second Corinthians 3, 5. I am a new creation in Christ. Standing, okay, envision this, standing in my bathroom, doing my hair and makeup, which was always very important to me. And I look up on my sheet taped to the mirror to teach myself who I really am instead of who I feel like I am or who I think in my natural self that I am. I am eternally secure in Christ. Really? I am eternally secure in Christ. I am protected by the power of his name. I am God's gift to Christ. And I'll wrap up with this one. I am free from condemnation, Romans 8, 13. All the stuff in my life was gone. It's gone. It's as far as from the east is from the west. And we, we always hear, oh, well, they never meet. So it's just gone, gone, gone. It's buried <laughs> into the depths of the sea. It's permanently removed from us. God doesn't even see it. When we say, I'm worthless, I'm hopeless. I'm stupid. I'm ignorant. I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to amount to anything. Oh, yes, you can, but it's only through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's it, girls. That's all there is. (laughs) And that's the best. And he was always what we ever needed anyway. We just looked in all the wrong places. I think there's a country song that goes something like that. <laughs> if not, there should be. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that could be the next thing you write after your book. You could start writing some. You've got a story to write some country songs. <laughs> yeah, I do. I think so. <laughs> I do. I've written a lot of songs, but they're mostly worship songs. Well, I wanted to thank you for opening up such such a sacred and such a raw story. You also touched on some things that are extra heavy and extra tender that women need to have the freedom to talk about and know that they're not alone. I just appreciate the teaching that you do and the writing you do. Do we, do we have a date of when this book might, might be available for readers or is it to be yeah. determined? <laughs> to be determined okay. for sure. Yeah, it's <laughs> still in the, I'm actually transcribing a lot of my old notes right now. Mm-hmm. So that's the stage I'm in. It's ruminating in my heart all the time. It's exploding in there. And mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of just waiting for the spirit to really release it onto page. Sure. Well, when the book comes out and you read it, you can say you heard about it first here. <laughs> Don't anybody steal my title. <laughs> right? Seriously. <laughs> oh, well, as, as we close. I know you you opened as with a beautiful prayer, but I now that listeners have gotten to know you a little bit, I was hoping you would close us in a prayer for for all the women out there who feel like a garbage wife, or who have been through any of the things you touched on. If they've been through depression, if they've been through suicidal thoughts, if they've been through marriages that are ending, been through affairs, been through just restarting yeah and and rescue yeah you're a good listener (laughs) big points thank you (laughs) i appreciate that oh my privilege father your ways are so much higher than ours your thoughts are so much higher than ours there's no comparison what you do with the life is your choice it's your sovereign right to work in my life and in each of these listeners' lives 
the way that you choose to. You know each one of us were uniquely made. We have unique sets of things that intrigue us, that impale us, that infuriate us. And you know each combination of how to set us free. But that's the whole thing. You want to set your children free. You want your bride to be ready for your return, which could be any day. Lord, would you ready us as your church, as the bride of Christ? Lord, like when I was first divorced and my mom, my godly mom, brought down a beautiful set of organza trimmed sheets to me and handed them to me in a, in a, a pressed stack and said, every bride of Christ needs sheets like this. Lord, would you put it in the hearts of your women that they're precious beyond the price of rubies. They're uniquely designed and you have a way that you want to reach into their deepest soul and draw out all of their needs and fulfill their needs in you. You are the lover of their soul. I could pray a long time about this, but I do pray you do that. I pray with the passion of the Holy Spirit for them that you minister by your grace and your power to the needs of each heart. And Lord, if there's anything else I can do besides what I'm doing, please make me ready and available to be your servant. Thank you for this opportunity. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Sherry, so much for doing this. I appreciate it. And thank you to everyone listening. We hope you were encouraged and we hope that you come back for the next story. Yes. <laughs> I shall not die, but live. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> good night, y'all. <laughs> the Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.